Hello, my friends. Michael Youssef here, and I just wanted to thank you for connecting with Leading the Way. Our entire team is wholly committed to passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth of God's Word, and it cannot be done without you. Learn more about what God has charged us to do around the world by clicking around ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. In the last few decades, our culture has made several shifts in the wrong directions. Most of those are very dangerous shifts. One of the chief among these shifts in culture is that we have shifted from thinking to feeling. We have shifted from absolutes to relativism. We have shifted from exclusivities to inclusivity. Let me give you an example. Now, when children play sports, there's no winning or losing teams. Everybody gets a trophy. They don't want to hurt the kids' feelings. Most of the teaching and education philosophies in public school, they're trying to remove the A's and the F's. And they want to give all the kids, all the kids, passing grade. Why? They don't want to hurt the kids' feelings. As a matter of fact, it's happening in churches. Many a church now has opted not hurting the non-believers' feelings instead of inviting them to come and know Christ and believe in Him and receive eternal life. They don't want to hurt their feelings so they don't talk about hell and eternity or the blood of Jesus Christ or salvation. In other words, hide the truth if it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. And that is why I wrote that book, When the Crosses Are Gone. Because if that train is not stopped, it's going to take us over a cliff. For when the truth is no longer the most important issue in a culture, that culture is doomed. Read history. Now I want to think the logic of that. Shift from thinking to feelings into the medical field, into the health care situation. And a doctor, out of fear that he may hurt my feelings, would not tell me that I have cancer. He doesn't want to hurt my feelings. I mean, just think about this. Think about the logic of that. That is why inclusivity and inclusiveness is not only just has become a buzzword in our society. Inclusivity now has become a virtue that is to be preached. Inclusivity is very important for being accepted by society. Vast numbers of preachers today have abandoned the truth of the Scripture in favor of inclusivity. Many of them have sold their birthright for the pot of soup of inclusivity. And yet the Bible from cover to cover declares that God is an exclusive God. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. The invitation that God issues is a, an inclusive invitation. Whomsoever, whomsoever comes, it's for everyone, every nation, every tribe, all, everyone. It's wild invitation. It's an inclusive invitation. Black, white, yellow, green, rich, poor, tall, short, has nothing to do. The invitation is wide open for everyone. Ah, 
But the reward for those who have accepted the invitation, the reward for obeying the Word of God is very exclusive. In Matthew 25, beginning of verse 31, Jesus reveals to us, He gives us a picture of what it would be like on the day of judgment, the day of His return. He paints a picture for us, and He tells us there is going to be a lot of separation on that day. Far from it being all-inclusive, and everybody will make it, He is going to separate people. On that day, the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to be persuaded by fake emotions or by false feelings. No, He will exercise justice that is persuaded by His righteousness, not feelings. And today, Jesus literally concludes this section in Matthew. And so I conclude with where he concluded. And it is a separation between sheep and goats. Here he gives us a picture of Judgment Day itself. We don't want to think of Judgment Day in our culture. But it's coming. It's coming. The distinction is going to be between those who have expressed their love for the Lord Jesus Christ by expressing us in in loving Jesus' people. And those who have ignored Jesus express their rejection of Him by ignoring Jesus' people. You know, the amazing thing is for 2,000 years, people pontificated about this passage, about who are these brethren of mine that Jesus talks about, the least of these brethren. Some people said, and particularly the medieval church, that the brothers of Jesus, least of these brethren, is everyone who's in need. Now, that is great, and it's in other passages, but the text does not lend itself to that. Other people said, least of these brethren, he's talking about the Jews. That's not what the text is all about. I'm focusing on the text, okay? You with me so far? There's a third group of people who have said, well, there must be the disciples or those who are in Christian mission work. And there is precedent to this because in Matthew 10, Jesus said, he who receives you receives me. But that's not what the text is saying here. It's too narrow interpretation. What Jesus is saying, the least of these brethren of mine, he is referring to all the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ those who have put their whole trust in Him as this only Savior and Lord, the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, the bride of Christ that is going to be taken up to heaven that we've been seeing throughout the series of messages. Now, listen, some of you are going to go out and say, well, Michael says that we shouldn't help anybody else except the Christians. So please listen. I don't want you to go out and send me letters. The Bible is concerned about the poor and the needy and the oppressed. Of course, the Bible is concerned about them. And they are in other passages, not in this one. The Bible is very concerned about them. Ah, but not in this passage. In this passage, he's specifically speaking about his believers, his children, his brothers and sisters. Here he's specifically telling us about those who've expressed their love for Jesus Christ by loving other believers, especially those who are in need. Those who do not love the Lord Jesus 
are not his followers, and therefore they're not true believers. They go, they're not going to love the church. I don't care how religious they may be. In fact, religion kills. Did you know that Saul of Tarsus was a member of the Sanhedrin, was a very religious person? In fact, later on he tells us how religious he was. And his religion and the blindness of his religion has led him not only to persecute the believers, but to kill them. But then when he became converted and became the great apostle Paul, he was suffering for the sake of the church. He was suffering for the believers, and he was happy to do it. You see, religion kills, but Jesus gives life. This separation between sheep and goats shall be based on who loved his fellow believers, especially those in need. Who has done that as evidence of the love for Jesus Christ? As a matter of fact, the Apostle John gives us a magnificent test. He gives us a beautiful illustration of how you can take the test and you can figure out right now whether you are a sheep or a goat. You don't have to wait to be surprised. And it's a three-pronged test or three different tests. You can take them either way. In 1 John chapter 2, they're all there in chapter 2 of 1 John. The first test in chapter 2 verses 20 to 23, he said, if you say that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, there is no other way to heaven except through Him, then you pass test number one. Test number two, verses three to six of chapter two. Are you being obedient to Christ? Are you living a life of obedience? I'm not saying that you slip and and you fall and stumble every now and again, but I'm talking about a life of obedience. And the test number three, verses nine to 11 of chapter two of 1 John. Are you loving Christians? Are you loving those who belong to Jesus Christ? As I said in the last message, anyone can claim to be a Christian. Anybody can claim. A lot of people claim to be Christians these days. And the problem is they're very sad because they inoculated against the true Christian faith. The test is very clear. Is Jesus the Lord of all? He's the Lord of your life, day in and day out. Are you daily endeavoring to obey His command? Do you love those whom Jesus loves, your brothers and sisters in Christ, or not? Through the years, we've had public officials who claim to be Christians, and yet their whole life and everything they do is they're discriminating against Christians. So what they say with one side of their mouth, they basically destroy with the other side. So the test tells you who's a sheep and who's a goat. I don't make the rules. It's in the book. Sheep and goats look very similar, especially from a distance. If you're driving in the countryside and you see, you know, creatures, they look alike from a distance. But in reality, they are very, very different creatures altogether. The only thing in common they have is that they have four legs. There's a A Middle Eastern picture here that the Lord is really pointing to us. That is, most often, a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. Now, some poorer ones who can't afford to have two under shepherds, one for the goats, one for the sheep, they let them graze together. But one thing they never do, and that is let them have their rest in the same place. 
they don't go to sleep under the same roof. <laughs> There's a good reason for that. Because sheep are docile and gentle creatures, while the goats, on the other hand, they are unruly, they are, are rambunctious, uh, and, and they love to upset the sheep. They enjoy upsetting the sheep. They really do. So you know where the goats are. <laughs> In fact, they really should not even feed together. But definitely do not rest together. And because heaven is a place of rest for the sheep, for the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, goats aren't going to make it in there. Thank God for that. They might trouble us here, but they ain't going to trouble us there. Now, Jesus is saying that in the last day, he will separate the sheep, that's his believers, and the goats, that is the pretend believers or lookalike believers, the religious believer, but it's not the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the sheep is going to go to the right, by the way, and the goats are going to go to the left. In fact, the reason the Bible talks about the left is because, again, in, in Old Testament language, the left side is the place of disfavor. It's the place of rejection. It's the place of dishonor. And far from being inclusive and everybody's going to get in, they're going to be separated. You see, you remember how the Bible talks about God's right hand? Because that's the place of power. With Jesus sitting at the Father's right hand, throne of God, that's the place of authority. It's the place of favor, the right hand. The left, on the other hand, is going to be a place of dishonor. And like all judgments... The Lord's judgment in that last day is going to be based on demonstrative evidence of the facts. Uh, lawyers, you understand this because in that day, there ain't going to be no hearsay. There ain't going to be no loopholes. There ain't going to be no circumstantial evidence. <laughs> Jesus is going to judge based on the evidence. I want you to hear me right. This is important. The good works that Christian believers perform, they perform not so that they may be saved by their works. No, they do that work as evidence of their salvation. It is a thanksgiving for their salvation. But there's something else here that is of vital importance. I think if you read the passage in a hurry, you could miss it very easily, but it's really important. Being blessed by God on that last day being counted among his sheep on that last day, being welcomed and accepted by God the Father on that last day, is not going to be based on how big things I've done for God, how great things I've accomplished for God. No, 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 no. You see it here in the passage. I'm going to explain it to you. And people like me, in our case, it's not how many sermons I preach or how many books I've written, how big the budget is, how many buildings, and how many millions of people are listening to us. No, 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 no. This is all God's doing. We're only along for the ride. You see, we judge people based on all these accomplishments. But that's how we judge people. God is not going to judge us that way. You see, people want to judge us by our resume, by the volume, and by how big is it, by the size, by all those kinds of things. But not in the last day, not in the day of judgment. The proof of your love for Jesus is not about all the big things or the great things you've accomplished, but on the basis of how faithful you have been with what he placed in your hands. That's really what this is all about. <laughs> the simple things that you have done as second nature to you. 
It seems simple things are mentioned here. Sharing a meal, giving a cup of water to a thirsty person, taking a stranger and giving clothes to somebody who needs clothes, caring for a sick, visiting those who are in prison for the sake of Christ. How faithful have you been in telling someone about the salvation of the Lord that you have received freely from His hand? There are sometimes people go for years and they're sitting next to somebody who does not know the Lord, never witness to Him. I'm not talking about evangelism. I'm not talking about big Christians. I'm talking about just sharing Christ simply. Just sharing Christ. Let me tell you what Christ did for me. It comes out of a heart that is flowing for love for Jesus Christ. So much so that believer on the last day cannot even remember what they've done. You notice that in the text? I want to draw your attention to the text, verses 37 to 39. When did we see you hungry and fed you thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in? When did we, when you needed clothes and we gave you clothes? When did we see you sick or, or in prison and we visited you? You see, the Christian believer is literally scratching his head and asking these questions. They can't put their finger on it. They can't remember. Why? Because this has just been a second nature to them. They see the need, they meet the need. They don't have to form a committee and try to examine and study the subject. You just do it. It is just a natural part. And not necessarily anybody need to know. It's between you and Jesus. But he saw it. You can't even remember it, but he does. You know, the celebrity balls and the celebrity fundraising and the celebrity raising money for charity and all that stuff. They make a big splash about the little things they have done. Things that a believer would never do. In the last day, when they are told that they have not done anything for Jesus and Jesus' people, they say, oh, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you need a place to stay? When did we see this? Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. Because they did all of their celebrity stuff in order to get the praise of people, in order to get acceptance by culture and society, in order to improve their image. They could not have done it for Jesus or Jesus' believers. There's something else here that I don't want you to miss either. Very important. In this separation of sheep and goats, as I told you, many people today, even public life, claim to be Christians with one breath. And the next breath, they say, yeah, but there's truth in Islam and truth in Buddhism and truth in this religion. All the religions basically have the same truth. What? I mean, they just literally destroyed what they said if they claim to be Christians. Because to be a Christian, to mean Jesus is the only way to heaven, period. That's what it means. Look, I can go to the Scripture... The claim of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And go to the Scripture, and I'll tell you that there is no name under heaven by which men can be saved. And I can go to... But I don't have to do any of this. Just look here at verse 31. It is the clearest indication that Jesus and Jesus alone is going to save people from eternal hell to eternal salvation. It's right here. He sits on the throne. He ain't going to have any of the other religion founders with him. <laughs> He alone sits on the throne. He alone is the divine king. He alone is the supreme judge. He alone is the ultimate determiner of people's faith. Jesus is the supreme ruler. Jesus is the only one who will call all of the shots. 
So if they believe in the wrong Jesus, as they say in Australia, they are up the creek without a paddle. You know, I heard people through the years, church people, would say, I don't believe in this Jesus of the Old Testament, the, the God of the Old Testament, the God of wrath and, and the God of judgment and the, and the God of wrath and vengeance. And I just don't. I like the God of the New Testament, Jesus, meek and mild, helpless and weak. And I like that one. Here's the truth, beloved. Listen to me. Either they conveniently forget or they don't want to know that Jesus, more than any other person in the Bible, speaks most clearly about hell. Did you know that? In every one of the parables we have been seeing in this series of messages about heaven, we are hearing him again and again condemning those look-alike believers. He said they will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, something very important that you must understand. If you want to sin against God, and if you want to sin against the person, tell them that in the last day, Jesus is just going to feel sorry for everybody and he's going to let them in. For starter, you're contradicting everything that Jesus said. In the separation of the sheep from the goats, the king will say to the goats, I don't say that with any pleasure in my heart and my mind. Verse 41. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, beloved friend, listen to me. Hell is a place of total separation from God. Hell is a cursed place. Hell is where Satan and his demons will thrive. Hell is for all those who have refused to believe that Jesus and only Jesus can take you to heaven. Hell is a place of eternal suffering. Hell is a place of total darkness. And I know, and you know, you've heard them and I heard them in the media and on television. They joke about how hot it is in hell. In reality, hell is not a literal fire. And before you think I'm a heretic, I'm going to show it to you from the text, okay? Jesus said hell is prepared for Satan and his angels. Satan and his angels are spiritual beings. They're not physical beings. They're spiritual beings. So fire does not affect them per se. So the term fire, like the term sheep and the term goats, are all a figure of speech to illustrate the immeasurable suffering without relief. The, it speaks of mental torture without break. It speaks of psychological torment without rest. It speaks of continuous weeping and gnashing of teeth. I understand from our context of our culture that somebody can read this in, in the Scripture and conclude, oh, surely God is not going to allow this. Surely God is not going to do this. Really? Jesus experienced hell on the cross. Said so that whomsoever take that as his or her payment will escape from hell. See, we have created a God and a Jesus in the image of a 21st century man, we really have. A Jesus is all feelings and all inclusive and all tolerant and all permissive. Oh, but here's the bottom line. Everyone, every one of us, every human being that's ever born of a woman 
was born with sin and practiced sin. And the Bible said the wages of sin is punishment. Ah, the believers who escape from hell is because they accept the payment of hell for them by Jesus. And the goats are too proud to accept that this payment is the only way. Surely there must be some other way. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. If there's one person here who's not sure if he or she have accepted that payment as it's only for them, I want to encourage you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. Forgive me my sins. Come into my life. Transform me from inside out. You and you alone, a Lord and Savior. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. 